When you have opportunity to respond to God's truth, do it wholly every time with all your heart. If you'll take your Bibles and turn with me, um, let, let's go to Isaiah. We're going to do a little bit of a, a walking around a little bit. Are we okay with that today? Okay, thanks for your assistance here. Isaiah 12, we're going to start there. I'm going to read the first, the, actually the whole chapter there, six verses. Isaiah chapter 12. The book of Isaiah, it's, it's called actually the fifth gospel. Uh, scholars refer to it as the fifth gospel because the life of Jesus, there's so much in there about the life of Jesus and this written like 700, 750 BC. So all these years before Jesus was actually on the planet, um, all these prophecies were written down. But, uh, but Isaiah was one of the prophets. He's a writing prophet. There's different kinds of prophets in the Old Testament. There's writing prophets and there's preaching prophets. So Elijah never wrote a book. Elisha never wrote a book. It was written about them, but you don't have a book full of their prophecies. Jeremiah was a writing prophet. Isaiah was a writing prophet. There are different kinds of ministries in that regard where there's ministries where they wrote down what God showed them. John, the apostle, he was a writing prophet. He was an apostle, but he carried that prophetic ministry. And so he wrote down, he was told, write these things down. And Isaiah is a writing prophet. Let's just read these first six verses and then we'll go from there. It says, In that day you will say, O Lord, I will praise you. Though you were angry with me, your anger is turned away and you comfort me. Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid. For Yah, the Lord, is my strength and my song. He has also become my salvation. Therefore, with joy, you will draw water from the wells of salvation. And in that day, you will say, praise the Lord, call upon his name, declare his deeds among the peoples, make mention that his name is exalted. Sing to the Lord, for he has done excellent things. This is known to all the earth. Cry out and shout, O inhabitant of Zion, for great is the Holy One of Israel in your midst. Wow, what a, what a song, really. It's, it's, it's quite a thing. You can really break it down, the first parts of prayer. O Lord, I will praise you. He's calling upon the Lord. You are angry with me. He's very personal here. Your, angry was, your anger was turned away and you comforted me. And he speaks of God's salvation. He, he's talking about it in prayer. And they God, behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid. And one of the things we know is that when we cry to the Lord, what does he do? He listens to us. He hears us. And we know that when we pray according to his will, the things that he hears of us in that regard, he answers Praise God, he doesn't always answer every prayer. Hallelujah. No, you're not happy about that. I'm glad he did because I wanted to die one day and I said, Lord, just kill me. Right? Elijah prayed the same thing. Praise God, he hasn't answered those kind of prayers. Yeah? yeah. Lord, I, I quit. Just, just get rid of me. Throw me away. Well, praise God, he didn't do that. Praise God, he, he, he can hear you in the sense that he knows everything, but it's kind of like, well, I'm not listening to you. You're praying stupid stuff. 
Yeah, but praise God, he doesn't answer that kind of prayer. But here, Isaiah's speaking this. He's saying, Lord, it's you, Yah, the Lord is my strength and my song. He also has become my salvation. See, this declaration in prayer, this, this, he's crying out, Lord, it's not just he's given me salvation, he himself has become my salvation. He has become my salvation. See, salvation isn't so much a gift I get from him. <laughs> it's him who saves me. <laughs> do you think he's strong enough to do so? Do you think you're the exception to the rule? Oh, sometimes we feel that way. I'm the exception. Oh, my problem's just too big. My problem's too difficult. I'm just such a mess. There's no way God can do this. Uh, don't think of yourself so big, please. Don't exalt yourself in your own imagination thinking that somehow you're special or, or, or on the negative, you're, you're beyond his reach. Do you know how foolish that is? Where can you escape from God's presence? You go up to heaven, he's there. You go down to the, the place of the dead, he's there. God is omnipresent. He's fully in every place. You go to the far side of the sea, he's there. In fact, he beats you there. By the time you arrive, he's been waiting for you. There's nowhere that you can go that his presence isn't. There's nowhere that you can run that he can't reach. David says, I was in a pit. You reached down and lifted me up and placed me on a firm foundation. Your salvation is real. You know, I don't know if you noticed that. We're going to continue through this, but I'm going to take you from here other places from the text, and I'll show you why. Because as I've been studying this this week, as I've been waiting on the Lord with this chapter this week, it's very meaningful to me. But the Lord led me on a journey. Can I take you with me? First of all, it's a prayer. Secondly, it's, it's notice in the context, it, it's God is speaking here. It's, it's like the voice of, of God is coming through the prophet. And in verse one, it, or pardon me, yeah, verse one, it says, in that day you will say. You notice that? In that day you will say. And now, it, it kind of at the end of verse two, the quotes are the end there. So it's kind of, it, this is what you're gonna say in that day. And now he says in verse three, it's like the promise then comes from God and he speaks, he says, therefore, because you've said this, therefore, with joy, you will draw water from the wells of salvation. This idea that, um, that the abundance of God coming out and, and, and God speaking now this promise to them, because you prayed this, because you trusted me in this, because this is what you said, I'm responding to you with the wells of salvation, the, the fullness that we speak of it where Jesus is speaking to the woman at the well thing, out of you, this, it'll bubble up unto eternal life. He, he says it in, um, what is it, uh, John 7, where it says, it says uh, out of you will flow rivers of living water. This, this picture of the wells of salvation. 
God's absolute provision. You remember Christ was actually the rock in the wilderness where out of him, he struck it and the water came running out. This picture of wells, salvation, the fullness of, constantly replenished, bubbling up. Is God's salvation enough for you? The Almighty, if if he saves you, you're saved. If he delivers you, you're delivered. This is his promise. You will do this. When you're thirsty, you, we, we don't have to go to a well anymore, do we? <laughs> we go to the tap, turn it on. <laughs> but even so, when you're thirsty, what do you do? You gotta turn the tap on. You gotta get your glass, drink deeply. Salvation, we've often limited salvation to just, Jesus, I trust you, you've made me Christian. But do you realize salvation, that word sozo, isn't really that way inclined. It's, it actually, in the Greek, it, it means he delivers, he, he heals, he keeps safe, he, 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 he brings that restitution, the re- restoration into your life. It's not just simply I became a Christian. It's, it's every time I need you, I trust in you, I come to you. Salvation is kind of a bigger picture. We've kind of made it theologically a real small thing. But that's not what it is. Because every time we go into a situation, every time there's a difficulty, there's salvation that we need, there's provision from God, there's deliverance, there's help, there's healing. He keeps safe, he delivers us. The promise of full salvation, he's gonna deliver me safely to his heavenly kingdom. Present me faultless before his presence with exceeding joy. And God promises. Therefore, With joy, you will draw water from the wells of salvation. It's a prayer, it's a promise. And then there's praise. Do you see it? It says, and and then it says, and in that day you will say, again, he says that. We'll get to those in a second here. Praise the Lord, call upon his name. It's almost like he's praising, but he's also proclaiming at the same time. It's like he's telling everybody else. By the way, that's the process. All these P's. (laughs) You call upon him. You draw the wells of salvation, that's in Jesus. And then you proclaim (laughs) with praise. You don't, Try to get other people to believe what you don't. That's weird. You're cleansed. You're saved. And then then you praise and proclaim. You don't try to preach it till you believe it. I heard people say that. That's a bit off, it seems to me. You partake. You drink deeply. And then you have something to praise for. Then you have something to proclaim. Remember, you're not too far gone. His arm is not short that he can't reach. But do you realize that the ultimate goal is in the last part of that section? Verse 
praise the Lord, call upon his name, declare his deeds among the peoples, make mention that his name is exalted, sing to the Lord. You see all these different kind of ways in which you declare? You're praising him, declaring his deeds, singing to the Lord. Even verse six, it says, cry out and shout. For great is the Holy One of Israel in your midst. Uh, another P, can I? <laughs> That's presence. That's the goal. Now, as I was studying this passage, it, it kind of led me down a path. You know, when it says about his presence, the hope of glory is that Christ in you, the hope of glory, isn't it? Now, I, I noticed that it said here in, in the text, it says, in that day, you will say, in that day. And I was trying to think, well, in what day? In what day? I don't know if you ask those kinds of questions. I do. So I started looking back. I started going back, and, and I noticed that that phrase was used again in chapter 11, verse 10, in that day. And then you go back a bit further in, in verse 20 of chapter 10, in that day. And I'm just like, what? Well, this is like, there's a pattern here, isn't there? In that day, this is gonna happen. In that day, this is gonna happen. In that day, this is gonna happen. Well, what day? I don't know, do you ask those kinds of questions? I do. So can I take you for a walk? So as I go back and I'm beginning to look at, well, what day are you speaking of, Lord? In verse 11, back in, in chapter, chapter, what, uh, chapter 11, it says, it shall come to pass in that day that the Lord shall set his hand again the second time. Now notice what he says, to recover the remnant of his people who are left. From Assyria and Egypt, from Pathros and Cush and from Elam and, and Shinar and from Hamath and the islands of the sea. And then you go down and you continue to read. It talks about those who were dispersed of Judah and Ephraim. Those are the two tribes, right? You got um, Ephraim is the northern kingdom. You've got Judah that's the southern kingdom. So God is speaking very specifically about certain people. See, often when we read it, we read us into the passage every time. And that's not always wrong because every blessing, every promise of God is yes and amen in Christ. But in the text, it's talking about someone else. And when I notice that it said, it's at a second time, that means there's a, there's a second time, there's a duh. So I'm thinking, well, what, what is this? Now remember Isaiah, he's writing, he's, he's writing, he's, he's predicting two things. He's, gonna, he's predicting when Assyria comes in and wipes you know, the northern tribe off, but he also talks about what's going to go on in Jerusalem. Jeremiah was the one to see that whole thing fulfilled. And, and, and he's, telling, he's telling the people, God's going to discipline you, but be of good cheer, he's going to gather you again. So he gathers them at least how many times? At least twice. Could it be more? Could be. I don't want to limit that, but that's what it says the second time. We doing okay so far? We tracking. Because there's, there's mysteries in the Bible. 
we've, in this church, we, we've, I've, I've expounded to you the one in Ephesians, it's called the mystery of Christ, where God takes Jew and Gentile and makes them together unified to Christ. But what that doesn't do, it doesn't nullify the promises for the nation of Israel. Israel's a nation, see, this should concern you. Because if God doesn't fulfill his promises to them, then you might wonder, well, will he fail, fulfill the promises to me? Because he promised them that he would do certain things. And, and, and when we read them, we kind of sometimes make them spiritual rather than actual. We make them kind of a, an ethereal kind of fulfillment rather than God's actually gonna do what he said. <laughs> And sometimes we can even do that ourselves with prophetic words and stuff. Well, maybe God didn't really mean what he said. It kind of, you know, and we try to play with it, try to, until it doesn't mean anything at all. And so I, I was reading, I like, okay, in that day you're gonna do this. And then I noticed that this word that kept coming up, this phrase, so in, in, in chapter, chapter 11 and verse 16, uh, it says, there will be a highway for the remnant of his people. So that's what he's talking about, a remnant of his people. Well, who is it? Ephraim and Judah is Israel. Northern tribe, southern tribe. He's gonna gather them again out of all these places in that day and a second time, he says again in verse 11, but, but if you keep going back, in fact, I went all the way back to like chapter 10 and verse 20. And, and, and let me just show you, he says, and it shall come to pass in, in that day that the remnant of Israel and such as have escaped the house of Jacob will never again depend on him who defeated them, but will depend on the Lord, the Holy One of Israel in truth. The remnant will return and the remnant of Jacob to the mighty God. For those your for though your people, O Israel, he is um, be as the sand of the sea. A remnant of them will what? Return. The destruction decreed shall overflow with righteousness. For the Lord God of hosts will make a determined end in the midst of all the land. That's an interesting phrase there, because Paul picks that up in Romans nine. We'll get to that in a second. So you have this, this thing that God is going to bring salvation for Israel and he's gonna bring them back and they're gonna trust in the Lord. Now what's interesting here is that in chapter 11, and it shall, verse one, it shall come and there shall come forth a rod from the stem of Jesse. Jesse. And a, what? A branch. Do you notice that that word branch is capitalized? That's a name or a title. Who's Jesse? Jesse was David's dad, wasn't it? You know, we, we quote this at Christmas time in Isaiah 9, don't we? Unto you a child is born, unto you a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders, 
And he shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of his reign, there shall be no end. Hmm? And he shall sit on the throne of his father, David. Okay, I'm gonna, so we're kind of pulling all these little thoughts in. We'll get there. And the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. So, so Jesus is going to reign on whose throne? Do you know that David's throne is not in heaven? David's throne's on earth. But Israel's been pretty much destroyed, hasn't it? It's not in a good place. Actually, it's getting better. The walls have been torn down. The temple was destroyed. I, Isaiah saw it coming. Because remember, when Jerusalem was destroyed in 70 AD, it wasn't the first time it was destroyed. It was destroyed when, when Jeremiah was living in Jerusalem, and he predicted that you guys don't repent, the whole place is going to go down. And it did. Ezekiel saw the presence of God leave in three distinct kind of movements, and he speaks of that in, in Ezekiel. And, and the temple's been raised up, come down, raised up, come down. <laughs> and there isn't a temple there now. So in, in that day, in, in, in that day, Again, this, this stem from the root, this, this, this pardon me, from uh, there shall come forth a, a rod from the stem of Jesse, a branch shall grow out of its root. Now listen to this. And the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. This branch, this rod, this, the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. The spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit, spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. By the way, there's seven of those. In the beginning of, of, of Revelation, it talks about that and the spirit or the sevenfold spirit of God. Not seven spirits, be careful. But these different aspects of God's spirit resting on who? This rod, this branch, the son of Jesse, the son of David. Who is it? Do you know? Okay, that's Jesus. So Isaiah's writing about who? So in that day, he's going to gather Israel for salvation. What day? Okay, so you got a couple of choices. Well, we know he's speaking about after Jesus comes because it's not before. I know this is simple, forgive me, but this is the way I think. I want to be as rational and clear. I don't want to mess around with the scriptures and try to fit them in a category or in a way that I like theologically. That's really dangerous to do. Be careful of doing that. Allow the scripture to speak for itself. If you'll take the truth, God will make truth fit. And I know we, we like to have every detail. God doesn't always work that way. Don't worry about the stuff that doesn't just work with the stuff that makes sense. So it's after Jesus. So was it Pentecost? Could have been. 
Because when God pours out his spirit, who's there at, at Pentecost? Okay, so Acts 2. Who gets saved at Pentecost? 3,000? They're all Jewish. They're all Jewish. Say, no, when we read Acts, we read us into it. Don't read you into it. I don't have a problem. I understand what we do, but the promise is to you and to as many as the Lord our God will call. So yes, you still get to partake in the Holy Spirit in Christ. But all of them were Jewish. Do you realize that the whole church, early church, was entirely Jewish up until Cornelius? Actually, probably Samaria, because they were kind of like half Jews, but Jesus went to them already, didn't he? The woman at the well, he preached that, that village there. But when it came to Cornelius, that's when the church goes global. Peter's like, uh-uh, I ain't doing that. I'm not going there. God has to like use three times the vision to kind of poke Peter and say, I'm talking to you. Three times, it's like Peter's going, okay, I'm listening. And he gets there and he preaches the gospel. He says, I shouldn't be here. But what God has called clean, right? God is, I'm not supposed to call unclean. So now the Gentiles are incorporated. How can this be? I thought salvation was just for the Jews. The new covenant, right? The new covenant is for Israel and Judah. But now God's incorporating the nations, which has always been his plan. But he's incorporating them in Christ. Salvation comes. So Jesus comes. Notice something. <laughs> Verse 10 of that chapter Isaiah, uh, 11 of Isaiah. In that day, there's another one in that day. What day? In that day, there shall, there shall be a root of Jesse who shall stand as a banner to the people for the what? Old Testament now, isn't it? And he's talking about the fact not only would he restore his people Israel and gather them in, but also the Gentiles would get included. The nations. I, see, I find this stuff fascinating. I don't know if you do. We'll come to it, and I'll, I'll show you, because this is imp important for you to understand. So, after Jesus comes, he does bring salvation to Israel, and he includes the Gentiles, but it says I'm gonna gather them a second time. Now, it, it, it could be, it could be, you know, after God, under Nehemiah and Ezra, he gathered the people in, so it may not be Pentecost. Paul writes Romans after Pentecost. Paul writes Romans and communicates to us the purposes of God, the prophetic purposes of God, and then explains in chapters 9, 10, and 11 that God still has a future purpose. From his standpoint, where he's standing in time, that God has a future purpose for the nation of Israel. We doing okay? You following, you tracking. Some of this may be like, well, I've known this all my life. Okay, maybe. 
I don't preach on this kind of stuff often because it's, again, I, I like to give you stuff for you. But here, let's go to Romans, let's go to Romans 9 for a minute. It's just, so you got Romans 9, 10, and 11. It's, so Paul is, is, is writing out basically a treaty on the Christian life. And he writes, remember, he, he says, chapters one, everybody's fallen, two, you know, the promises of God, three, everyone has sinned, and four, it's all, you know, faith, and, and, uh, and, and five, because Adam sinned, we got to be in Adam, and six, uh, freedom from sin, and, and seven, you can't do it yourself, chapter eight, I, I, need, I need the Holy Spirit's work. Then he goes to nine. Now, nine, 10, and 11 come before Romans 12. Duh. Yeah? Romans 12 says, in the light of all God's mercies, present yourself as a living sacrifice to God. So guess what chapters that includes? Not just one through eight. Nine, 10, and 11 are included in that framework of the mercies of God while you give yourself to him as a living sacrifice. Is this making sense? I'm trying to walk you through because there's a mystery here. And the mystery is, and I'll show it to you, and the mystery is that God blinded Israel for a period so that he could include you in Christ, and then he's still going to fulfill his promises that he made to them because of the fathers, because of a word we call election. So Paul starts off. Watch her time, but he starts off in nine and he says in verse one, he says, I tell the truth in Christ, I'm not lying. My conscience also bearing me witness in the Holy Spirit that I have a great sorrow and continual grief in my heart. Now, chapter nine is written after chapter. Chapter eight ends with nothing can separate us in the love of God that's in Christ. Listen to Paul's next words. For I could wish that I myself were accursed from Christ for the salvation, for accursed from Christ for my brethren, my countrymen according to the flesh, who are Israelites, whom pertain the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the service of God, and the promises, of whom are the fathers, and from whom, according to the flesh, Christ came, who is over all and eternally blessed God. Amen. Paul's in a place where he so desperately wants to see his countrymen saved. Okay, this boggles my mind, it does. This is only the Holy Spirit that can produce the kind of quality of praying that's willing to, in the authority of scripture, willing to give up everything you have, even your life with Jesus, for them to be saved. That's the heart of the Christ. How far was Jesus willing to go that we, them, us, might be saved? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Do you remember the Bible says he came to his own and his own did not receive him? He give him the name Jesus for he shall save his people 
Jesus said, I didn't come except for the lost sheep of the tribe of Israel. I'm sending the apostles out. Don't go into the way of the Gentiles. Go, go seek the lost sheep of the tribe of Israel. Go search for them. How about this? Do, do you think Israel as a nation is on the heart of Jesus? Or have you been told that the church absolutely just kind of replaces everything and every promise God has for them and nullifies all the promises for them? If you've believed that, and, and I've heard people teach it. Now listen, I'm not going the other way either. <laughs> I'm not a Zionist. I don't believe that everything Israel does is right, right? We're praying for that Jerusalem become a praise in the earth. That's what it says in Isaiah 62. Which Jerusalem? There's two of them that you can name. Uh, it's not the one that's there now. I'll tell you that one. It's the one in the kingdom where the millennial reign, where Jesus is reigning in Jerusalem. It could be the new one coming down where that one's the praise. It could be either one of those, but we'll get to that in a minute. Is your mind's okay? Are your brain's still working here? The purposes of God, and listen to me, the purposes of God in the prophetic direction, if you function in the prophetic and it doesn't include what God's doing in the nations, including his people Israel, go back to prayer. God is not done with them. I don't care what the media says. God thinks something different. Does that mean everything they've done is right? Nope. Okay, let me, let me kind of point it out to you. Have, even after a believer, have you done everything right? Has God given up on you? Okay, so do you think he's gonna give up on them? See, he's made the promises and the covenants through them, so there are still prophetic scriptures that are yet to be fulfilled in them as a nation. <laughs> let's read from verse six we doing okay I, I hope these things aren't too deep for you i am challenging i'm probably stretching your brain but that's okay you can go back and listen to the podcast later but it is not that the word of god is, has 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 taken no effect for they are not all who is who are what Okay, so there's a remnant, fair enough? It's not everybody, but there's a group that he's reserved. Nor are they all children because they are the seed of Abraham. Right, so they're children of Abraham. Abraham had Isaac, and then Isaac, um, uh, you've got Jacob and Esau, but the blessing didn't come through Esau, it came through Isaac, and, or through, um, through Isaac and through Jacob. So it didn't go to any, Abraham had more kids, by the way. Who many knows that? He didn't just have Isaac. There were some other ones floating around there. Well, he did. He got, after, after his wife, he did get remarried, by the way. But it came through Isaac. The promise comes through Isaac. In his seed, the nations of the earth would be blessed. In Isaac, your seed shall be called. That is, those who are the children of the flesh, these are not the children of God, but the children of the promise are counted as seed. For this is the word of promise. All this time, upon me, at this time I will come and Sarah will have a son 
And not only this, but when Rebekah also had conceived by one man, even our father Isaac, for the children not yet born, nor having done any good or evil, that the purpose of God according to, what's the word? Remember that word. Election might stand for of the word, for uh, not of works, but of him who calls. It was said to her, the older shall serve the younger. As it is written, Jacob I have loved, Esau I have, okay. So let me just explain. In the womb, two nations. She's having a problem. She goes to the seer and says, uh, what's going on? These kids are wrestling around inside my belly. She's got two boys in there. Jacob and he's told, or she, the, the seer, this prophet tells her, the older shall serve the younger. Why? Why? They hadn't done anything good or bad yet, had they? But it's God's choosing, God's election. God said it. Now, for some of you, that's difficult. Because you're like, well, no, God doesn't have that kind of right over my life. Uh, actually, he does. He's boss. You're not. You say, oh, I don't want him to be boss. That's the problem. <laughs> that's the rebelliousness. Should that which is made say him to make it? Why'd you make me this way? So God has a purpose that he's going to fulfill. Please hear me, whether you like it or not. <laughs> it's best if you like it, I suppose. Just step into it. Yeah, it just makes sense. But he, he's gonna, so he has, a, he has a plan. Now, he says, Jacob I have loved, Esau I have. Well, that's not fair, God. <laughs> the fact that he loved Jacob at all was a miracle. Why shouldn't he just dispose of all of us? All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The fact that he's loved any of us is the miracle. The offense that we take that God has, he chooses, he elects with Israel. We call it, Israel is what? God's what? Chosen people. We have no problem with that, do we? He didn't choose them because they were the greatest, they were the most holy, they were the most perfect. He just did it because he wanted to. It's because it was left up to him then. So it had to do with election, not good or bad, not works, not trying, not running, not manipulation, not <laughs> conniving, none of that. It has to do with God. It's his own mercy. It's his own grace. Did you realize that gifts are determined by the giver, not the receiver? See, when your kids come to you and say, I want this, and you get it for them, it's not a gift, it was a demand. They set the parameters. The gift of salvation was determined by him, not you. Are we okay to go deeper? Yes. Time to put on our big boy pants, you know? <laughs> big girl pants. Not me, I don't wear those, but anyway. <laughs> Claire's going to tease me about that one later. So he's saying that, that God's program and his word and the promises were for Israel. Does that mean that the word hasn't, it hasn't actually done what it was supposed to do? Remember, every word that proceeds from the mouth of God accomplishes that for which he was sent. 
So then doesn't that mean that it's failed somehow? God's failed to save his people? See, if you think that, I'm going to, oh, Lord, help me. If, if you think that, then the God that you worship isn't the supreme one. He isn't the almighty. He's some other kind of God. I've heard this, and, and I'm going to hit this kind of out. Uh, I've heard people pray, oh, Lord, thank you. You chose everybody. Is that true? If you believe God chose everybody and only some are saved, then God fails to save the rest. If you believe that, you should really worry. Yeah, I'm leaving this. To let, let, this let this think in. Let, let, chew on it. Because I'm telling you, there's a whole theology out there now called open theism. That says, well, God doesn't actually know the future. He can't, because if the will of man is primary, then how could God know the future? He can't. So therefore, boy, you got a problem with the book of Revelation, then. You got a promise, well, you got you a, pro a problem with the, the reality that Jesus, pro the prophecy of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, because God said it before. In fact, he planned it. That through the, wicked, the hands of wicked men, he would accomplish it. It pleased God to bruise him on our behalf. The implications of this, even with the gospel, my goodness. I've heard people say, well, all churches just agree on the gospel. I'm saying to you that they don't. But you need to know it. Because this, this is for Israel, but yes, this is about my life too. I'm, I'm involved in this whole program. And if God doesn't have the power to keep his promises to them, then I'm in trouble. The first promise of the coming of the Christ happened back in the Garden of Eden. Verse 14, we'll pick up the reading there. What shall we say then? Is there unrighteousness with God? Certainly not. He's saying that because these things were done, it wasn't an issue of performance or obedience. It had to do with God's election. Is that fair then? You could say it. Is there unrighteousness with God? Certainly not. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whomever I will have mercy. And I will have compassion on whomever I will have compassion. Now, <laughs> so, when we use the phrase with God, that's not fair, may I suggest to you, you probably don't really understand the gospel. Because <laughs> if God gave you what was fair, you and I would be in hell right now with not one more air to breathe on this planet. Not one more microsecond of being in the grace of God that's just in the world today. If I got what I deserved, if you got what you deserved. So when you say, God, that's not fair, you're saying, I want justice. I want you to do what's fair. What's fair is you've broken the law of God. And though the soul who sins should no, will die. So when he doesn't give you death for eternity, in one sense, he's being unfair to you. How? He's giving you mercy instead of justice. He's giving you mercy instead of um, the condemnation that you deserve. He's not treating you as you deserve to be treated in the fairness that you demand. Why? Were you better than anybody else? 
See, there are some who think, well, I, I went to church all my life. I was born under a pew. And? So what? If you rely on that, you perish. For me, I want to rely on the grace of God. I want to rely on the mercies of God. I, I don't want the justice of God on my life. I, I believe Jesus took that at the cross. And so God's saving me has nothing to do with me. I'm the recipient of mercy. I'm the recipient of grace. Not because I've deserved it, not because I've sought it enough, ran after it enough, willed for it enough, or did anything for it enough. He gave it to me when I wasn't even looking for him. Why? Because he wanted to. When, if you allow that to grab you, really grip you, the freedom that it brings is immense. Anybody who's saved, anybody who's able then to stand in the throne room of God knowing that acceptance will never say, I'm here because I... I'm here because he... I guess pronouns do matter in some ways. <laughs> Verse, verse 16, it says this. It says, so God says, I'll have mercy on whom I'll have mercy. I'll have compassion on whom I'll have compassion. Is it okay if God chooses just to be merciful to someone without asking their permission or without giving it to everybody? See, I'm gonna hit this because we have this concept of fairness that means everybody gets the same, right? Oh, don't tell me you don't believe that. You get mad at the government if, if someone gets someone else gets more than you. Well, we teach it with our kids. Well, we give one to one, and we have to give something what? Why? Well, it has to be fair. <laughs> we grow up with this now. Even children in school. Even if they don't win the race, what are they given? So the one who actually does a good job nullifies that one and the one that hasn't done anything. Well, because we have to be... Really? Be careful teaching your children that. I, that's my opinion on that one. As a parent, be careful with that. It's kind of a socialistic kind of thing. And I'm not against, you know, a great, uh, the NHS, fantastic. Praise God for the things that we get through the taxes that we pay. Hallelujah. <laughs> but this idea that everyone should get equal, that's, you know, that's not biblical. <laughs> I'll show you a little micro kind of picture of it. When Jesus hangs out with the apostles, do you know that he doesn't hang out with all of them equally? Yeah. Well, Jesus, you're just making clicks. You're prioritizing or preferring them above me, and? And? Well, no, it's supposed to be equal. Really? Where did you hear that?
Our culture has taught us a lot of bad lessons. Actually, unbiblical ideas. And when you walk in them, when you read the Gospels, when you read what Jesus did, it doesn't register. And sometimes you can read it and not even see it. Verse 16, it says, and then, so then it's not of him who wills, nor of him who runs, but of God who shows. So it's not up to your ability to do it. Now for the religious, that'll tick them off something terrible. Uh, But for the sinner, oh, there's hope. For the scripture says to Pharaoh, for this purpose I have raised you up, that I may show my power in you and that my name may be declared in all the earth. Therefore, he has mercy on whom he wills and whom he wills he, this is the Bible now, this isn't my teaching, this isn't a book that I've written. He says of Pharaoh, he said he hardened his heart. No, God hardened his heart. Romans chapter one says that, one and two, it says as people continue to behave, he hands them over to a depraved mind. He hands them over to a debased lust factor. He gives them up to. Is it okay that God does that? Okay, so... The question I asked you is kind of a trick one. Now, let me, let me say it this way. I don't like that it happens that way. Uh, and I would say God doesn't rejoice in the destruction of the wicked either. But is God just? Does he always do what's right? We sing it every week, almost every week. God is good. <laughs> is he good? He's good. <laughs> okay, so if I think that God shouldn't work something out a particular way, and I would do it differently, all I'm showing is my, Lord help me, we're sharing our own foolishness, and I'm gonna suggest the influence of an antichrist spirit. If you speak something against the word of God, God says, said this and I say this, what spirit are you speaking from? You see the danger of that. I I know sometimes we don't think it through. I understand that. But I'm coming at it from this way. And God says, so? God doesn't have theological debates with humanity. He just states this is the way it is. This is what I'm doing. Well, how dare you? And? Shall him who is created say to his creator? Do you see how foolish that concept is? Well, I, I know, now listen, that's different than, Lord, I don't understand, please explain it to me. That one, bring that to him every time. Every time you're like, Lord, I don't get this. Please show me the truth. I want to understand. Bring that, absolutely bring that to him. Lord, I lack wisdom. He says he'll do it and he won't, he won't find fault with you in asking for the wisdom that you need. But that's different from saying, well, and I've heard people even talk about hell that way. It's almost like they're apologizing because God is going to judge the wicked. Really? 
Does that make you more merciful? Well, if I was God, I wouldn't do it that way. What, are you more merciful than he is? Because that's what you just exalted yourself to look like. Ready for the big boy shorts here? Listen, see, the thing is, is that we have to grow up in our faith. We understand we're coming to a season in history where you're gonna see the judgments of God being poured out. And as you see them, unless you understand these types of things, you will get completely wigged out by it and you won't understand. And you're gonna go like, how could this happen? I thought God was like... Jesus, even with his apostles, says, listen, I'm going to the cross. You have to know this so that when it does, you don't stumble. Verse 19. So if he hardens those he hardens and he has mercy on others, verse 19, you will say to me then, Paul's arguing here. He's kind of talking to you as the reader. You will say to me then, why does he still find fault for who has resisted his will? But indeed, O man, who are you to reply against God? Will the thing formed say to him who formed it, why have you made me like this? So if in your own heart, you're like, well, I'm rebelling against God and I'm gonna do my own thing, but God made me this way. Why did you make me this way? It's your fault. It's kind of like Adam in the garden, isn't it? (laughs) Do you hear that voice behind it? Lord, this is the woman you put here. May I speak so bluntly as, how dare you? God commands all men everywhere to repent. So run to him. Run to him. Run to him. Because what you don't want I've heard people say, I'm wrestling with God. Really? There's two types of wrestling in that. There's wrestling for the blessing. And there's wrestling that says, I'm going to do it my way. And that's not a fight you want to win. If you win, you lose. Because he'll hand you over to it. And he'll say, fine, I'm done. Say, no, God won't do that. I'm telling you, he will. God can hand a nation over to their own destruction because they don't want to repent. Now, God is gracious and merciful. He's slow to anger. And sometimes he'll raise up a Jonah and go preach, even though Jonah doesn't want to go. The implications on this, if we apply it a little bit, is that When you have opportunity to respond to God's truth, do it wholly every time with all your heart. Please, I plead with you. Because compromise comes slowly and deceitfully. 
you get hard slowly and deceitfully. No one sets out to compromise, do you? It's like you just keep kind of, and you just keep going, and, and then pretty soon you're like, oh, how did I get here? But if you'll respond every time, all the time, with a whole heart, you, you won't lose out. You think of how long God took with Israel. <laughs> now, in the mercies of God, it's. Verse 21, it says, Now, uh, does not the potter have power over the clay with the same lump to make a vessel for honor and another for dishonor? It's a question. You see the question mark there? So answer the question. Think through the question. Think it through. What's the answer? Does the potter have the authority, have the power over the clay to basically to make what he wants with it? So he can take one piece of clay and it's like, here, here, kids, you can make those little things you make for mama on Mother's Day. And then here's the other part here. You're a professional. And you make that vase that like spins around and oh, so beautiful. Can you do both of those out of the same piece of clay? Doesn't the potter have the right? So if God, so if God chooses to do one with one person and one thing with another, is that okay? I'm setting you up again. Is it okay with you that God does that? Okay, I, I, but, I, I, but it doesn't on one side, I agree. God's gonna do what God's gonna do whether you like it or not, right? But we're called to be those that agree with him. Isn't that what faith and repentance is? Faith is I'm taking God at his word, repentance is I change my mind and I agree with God. So I do things his way. Fair enough? Okay, all right. Verse 22, these, it's, he's, he's pressing it now. He's really gonna push it home until basically until you like, oh, Lord, I don't care. You do whatever you want. But not in a bad way. What if God wanting to show his wrath and to make his power known endured with much long suffering the vessels of wrath prepared for destruction. And that he might make known the riches of his glory in the vessels of mercy, which he had prepared, what? Beforehand for glory. So what if God wants to take time and set this thing up so that he demonstrates his absolute authority and brings Egypt to its knees? declaring in very no uncertain terms, I have absolute authority over every deity you claim to worship, and Pharaoh, you who claim to be the son of God, I'll show you who's the son of God. Because that's exactly what he did. You know God saw Egypt develop? Do you know that God preserved Egypt with Joseph? He preserved it in such a way that when the famines came and all the people had nothing to eat, they sold everything they had to Pharaoh to get the food. How rich was Pharaoh? Who did it? After Joseph was gone, they forgot about God. They forgot about Joseph. 
So if God wants to form something, if I can put it this way, he wants to make something to blow it up. <laughs> we do. If he wants to form something and use great, great glory in doing it, and to demonstrate his power over it, is that okay? See, please hear me. I'm not trying to trick you. I'm not trying to, to, to corner you. What I'm trying to do is I want your heart to be in a place where when God brings judgment on nations, you're not going, God, you shouldn't have done that and get offended at him. Where God brings judgment on the wicked and you're offended. Where God brings judgment on your neighbor. Or like Psalm 91, thousand will fall at your right hand, 10,000. but it won't come near you. Why should God have mercy on you and not them? Don't get offended now. Because this is what he's doing for Israel. Not based on what they've done, but based on his own decision to have mercy on them. We okay? See, I, I, it's taking a little while. I have no issue with that, but I want you to understand. Spiritual things are not just kind of like, oh, I have that nice feeling. No. They form and, and they make you to understand. They take down strongholds, ideas that exalt themselves up against the true knowledge of God so that you can think clearly, spiritually, biblically. Where wisdom comes, where, where, where maturity comes, so you can discern between good and evil, right and wrong. You can look at the situation and you can see the fingerprints of God all over it. Instead of getting offended and saying, well, I won't believe in a God like that, then the God that you choose to believe in is an idol. Now, please hear me. I want to say this is that. I've not come to any of these conclusions lightly. One, it's in the word, duh. That's why I'm going verse by verse so you can see it. These are my words, this is just what it says. The sovereignty of God scared me. In fact, I fought it. And I said, Lord, why do you love me? I've told you this story before, but this is what it was about. That if God, if, if I want to be saved and you don't want to save me, then I'm stuck. It's true. You know that song we sing, Amazing Grace? We don't sing it much anymore. I don't know why. Maybe we'll sing it later. I don't know. Hint, hint. Yeah. The second verse, it says, grace has taught my heart to fear. Grace, my fears relieved. I think that's odd. How does grace teach your heart to fear? Okay, so by grace you're, so if you don't have grace, you're not, okay, where do you get grace from? Huh? Why should I give it to you? Hang on, why should I give it to you? Have you earned it? Oh, do you deserve it? Well, how do you get it? Okay, hang on. Who's the decision rest with? 
Lord, I need it for my salvation. I need you to save me by grace. I need grace. Can I have it? I don't deserve it. What's the basis of your argument to get it? Will an argument work? If it rests in him, then, oh my goodness. And without it, I perish. He wrote that, the guy who wrote that had been a slave trader, he, he, he worked on the boats and watched men and women die at his own hand. And he knew I needed grace. If I don't have grace, I'm perishing. And I deserve the perishing bit, but I need grace. Where do I get it? I don't deserve it. I haven't earned it. Oh, if I don't have it, I perish. See, so many pray a prayer, they've never come to the reality that without the grace of God, you perish for eternity. And the fear of the Lord just seems to bypass them. That frightens me when I see it with people. They're in and out, in and out, in and out. One day they're saved, the next day they're telling God to F off. And then the next day they're back in again. And there's no fear of God in their eyes. I question whether they're saved. Grace has taught my heart to fear. But when you have it, oh hallelujah, grace my fears relieved. Unearned and undeserved. You see what I'm saying? You see this stuff's real. The implication of it goes deep. Verse 24. Actually, let's go back to verse 23. And that he might make known the riches of his glory and the vessels of mercy which he prepared beforehand for glory, even, even us whom he called. Not, not of the Jews only, but also of the... Okay, so... Choosing an election applies to the Jews. But choosing an election also applies to the Gentiles. Can I, can I throw you something here? That, <laughs> the reason you're saved is because God chose to save you, not that you chose God to be saved. Whether you like it or not. See, well, I sought God. Actually, Romans says no one seeks God. Romans 3, no one seeks God. So why did I seek God then? Because he was seeking you first. The Bible says Jesus came into the world that he might seek and save those who were lost. You know what it doesn't say? He said, it doesn't say he came into the world so that you could seek him to be saved. It says he came to do the what? Seeking and the saving. You know, this changes how you do evangelism. You ever notice that? Oh, please be saved. No, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. Oh, it's a big difference. I preach not for decisions. I preach for regeneration. <laughs> I'm not dependent upon the people to respond. I'm dependent upon the spirit to make you alive. Oh, it changes the way you do things. God's not a victim to men. He's the Almighty who's in charge. 
God is not fighting a war with the devil as though there's some kind of equality. God's fighting the battle through you with the devil. When Jesus comes back, he's gonna destroy him with the word of his mouth. So then you see it says this, and he says, to, he says uh, as he says in Hosea, I will call them my people who are not my people, and my beloved who, are, who, was, not my, who was not beloved. And it shall come to pass in, in the place where it was said to them, you are not my people, there they shall be called the sons of the living God. Isaiah also cries out concerning Israel. By the way, this is chapter 10 that we got reading at the beginning. Though the number of the children of Israel be as the sand of the sea, the remnant will be saved. For he will finish the work and cut it short in righteousness because the Lord will make a short work upon the earth. And as Isaiah has said before, unless the Lord of Sabaoth had left a seed, we would have become like Sodom and we would have become, been made like Gomorrah. What shall we say then? That the Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have attained to righteousness, even the righteousness of faith? But Israel, pursuing the law of righteousness, has not attained to the law of righteousness? Why? Because they did not seek it, as, seek it by faith, as it were, but by the works of the law. For they stumbled at the stumbling stone, it is written, Behold, I lay in Zion a stumbling stone and a rock of offense, and whoever believes on him will not be put to... I think Nat brought that word at the beginning, didn't he? Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they may be saved. For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge, for they being ignorant of God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own righteousness, have not submitted to the righteousness of God. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. Oh, we don't have time to go through all of chapter 10 and do chapter 11, but let me just point one more verse out to you. Chapter 11, verse 25. All of chapter 11 sets up that, or chapter nine sets up that God does things by mercy and grace and not dependent upon works. That righteousness comes as a gift through faith. Chapter 10 declares us what happens and that these guys had been hardened, but that hardening wasn't final that this is something that happens for a time. For I, let's read that out here. For I do not desire, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this, what is it? I believe there's about seven, some say nine, mysteries that are named in the New Testament. The mystery of godliness, the mystery of lawlessness, the mystery of Christ. There's a number of them. This one is the mystery, lest you should be wise in your own opinion, that blindness in part has happened to Israel. Until what? Until that day. 
until the fullness of the Gentiles have come in. Briefly, there's going to come a point where the nations and no one else in the nations will be saved. The Gentiles and the fullness of them will come in. Then God, now please hear me, God's looking across the globe. Whether you're Jew or Gentile, you come to Christ. He's, he's doing. But there's going to come a point where God's going to turn his gaze off of all the rest of the nations and turn it directly back to Israel. And he is going to bring salvation to a remnant that he has kept. I'll give you a couple of things to refer to. Maybe like the 144,000, 12,000 out of every tribe of Israel that God marks on their forehead so that they're not lost. They're on the earth, not in heaven, by the way. There comes a time when Jesus comes back. It says that every eye will see him, even those that pierced him. He'll stand on the Mount of Olives. The Mount of Olives will split. He's going to bring salvation to Israel. And the Bible says in, in uh, Revelation 19, when he comes back, going into Revelation 20, that he'll spend a thousand years reigning in Jerusalem. And Jerusalem will be a praise in the earth. Israel's going to be saved. <laughs> and all of the real, physical, tangible prophecies about the land are going to be fulfilled. <laughs> That's not the end. Because in the final, there's a new Jerusalem that comes down out of heaven on the new earth and righteousness dwells in there. So I, there'll be praise in the earth, Jerusalem with the one that's like David's throne where Jesus fulfills it physically. And then there'll come a time when the throne of God actually comes down in some capacity. My brain pops. There won't be a temple there because the Lamb is its light and the presence of God is there in the new Jerusalem. And that will be a praise in, I suppose, not just the earth, but the whole universe. I don't know how big it gets. I'm hitting these because some of us struggle with what we see happening in the world. And we, we thought, God, we thought you were just supposed to bring peace like Jesus said, I'd come to bring a sword. <laughs> there will be a guy who will bring peace. It's a pseudo peace. He's called the man of sin. He's called the antichrist. People say, well, I'll identify him. Maybe. He'll be in the upper echelons, places where you guys and I don't any know anything that goes on in those places. When Jesus comes, he's, he'll deal with him. When Jesus comes, it says the dead in Christ will rise first. And then we who are still alive will be caught up together with him in the air. 
It says it's at the last trumpet. It sets it in a place in a series of events. I've heard people talk, have you ever heard the term rapture? I'm, I'm, if I'm really honest, it was, I was raised when I became a Christian, that's what I was told. The more I've read the Bible, I'm, I'm, I'm not convinced that there's a secret coming of Jesus that he catches the church away in secret and we get to escape from all of what's gonna happen. What I see in scripture is that when Jesus comes back, he comes back once, it's called the second coming, not the third. He comes back once at the end of it. That's why perseverance is necessary. (laughs) That's why understanding these things becomes important so that you don't get deceived with the nations. Because I'm telling you, the elect would be deceived if it were possible. I know this was a lot to take in. This is like a whole theology class, praise God. We'll probably touch on this again at another point. But these things are important for you to know. Don't pray against Israel. Pray for Israel's salvation. You don't have to agree with everything that Israel does as a nation. Their politics are politics. But we pray for their salvation. Yeah? And we do so believing, knowing, that Jesus said he's going to save the remnant. He's going to come and he's going to save those that are his, that he's reserved. Um, if you bless Israel, God will bless you too. <laughs> so your words matter. Don't go with the political agenda on the media. Fair enough? So remember, Romans was written after Pentecost. So that means there was a future event where you're going to see these things take place. So it wasn't Pentecost was the fulfillment. There's a time coming when revival will hit Israel. God's gaze will be on them. And Jesus will be magnified in the midst of his people in a very practical, literal sense. Salvation is always found in him. Jewish people are not saved without Jesus, only through Jesus. Yeah, Gentiles are not saved without Jesus. The nations are only saved through Jesus. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And no one, Jew or Gentile, (laughs) comes to the Father except through him. Amen? Amen. Amen. So Father, we just thank you for these things. We pray for wisdom and understanding, Lord. There's so much. And Lord, I thank you. I do believe, Father, that your promises are yes and amen to us, but also to your people, Israel, and that, Lord, you intend to literally fulfill these prophetic things that you spoke. And you are going to renew the land, and Jerusalem will be a praise in the earth. Lord, it says that you raise up watchmen on the wall that will give you no rest until you have made Jerusalem a praise in the earth. And so, Father, we pray, come and have your way. Let your kingdom come. Let your will be done. Bring salvation to the nations and to your people, Israel. And Lord, fulfill your good purposes, we pray. And make Jerusalem, Lord, a praise in the earth, we pray. In Jesus' name.